0: name by the way is very exciting the elementary group is now called origin not to be confused with the sometime uh, heretical church father of 3rd century origen en origen is o r i g i n edge kids though the edge kids are here in the service and i need the edge kids here cuz i need them to help me remember something <clears throat> this uh so back in this what the squirrel no now, I'll get, yeah, the answer is not Jesus. Back, um, back in December, you may remember we talked about peace, right? That was the day that we burned very briefly the peace candle in our Advent wreath. And then because we had the cheap candles, we quickly blew it out so it didn't burn down the building. <laughs> Do you remember what gets in the way of peace? Kara? Jerks, that is correct. Yes. One of the things that gets in the way of peace is jerks. Well today, I want to talk some more about jerks getting in the way of peace specifically by being idiots. When I was in college, we had a guest speaker who was not terribly popular there were many people who were angry at him for the book he had just published and he was a controversial figure and this one english professor was very incensed he was not at all happy with what this person had to say and so after this person gave his talk the english teacher got up during the question and answer time and he got up and he just started ranting and he you know there was sort of a question in there but he just went off for for quite a while and, uh, and the speaker had the most elegant response. It, you really, you can't use it, but you can admire it. He, he said, I'd say you're acting like an idiot, but I'm not sure you're acting. <laughs> and that was the only line that got him applause from the entire campus. Because this professor was acting like an idiot. The word idiot comes from the Greek, meaning one's own. An idiot is somebody who makes sense only to himself. An idiot is somebody who is thinking in a completely different world from the rest of us. And so one of the things you may have noticed, if you've ever had any conversations with anybody who might be a jerk, one of the things that people will sometimes do in these conversations is they will deliberately act like idiots. They will hear something and say, oh, well, I guess if that's true, then da-da-da-da-da. And you're, you, th- you no, only an idiot would say that. You may have noticed some of this going on in political discourse, right? One candidate says something, and then if you were to take that a certain way and twist it, then you would say, well, clearly he thinks that we should shoot puppies, and and then the ad goes up, you know, this guy wants to shoot puppies. Call him and tell him to stop shooting puppies. You know he doesn't mean that, but by deliberately being an idiot, which is one way of being a jerk, you twist that and have it mean something that it doesn't mean. And Paul, at this point in the book of Romans, is dealing with some idiots, more specifically, with some jerks who are acting like idiots. Let's back up a bit to catch up to where we are. Uh, this section really starts in 2.17 Romans. This is Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Uh, remember, Paul, the apostle, planted this uh, this uh, a number of churches around the Mediterranean basin. He was looking forward to visiting the church in Rome, which he had not planted himself. Uh, and he was writing this ahead of time before his visit to them. This is a church that had both Jewish and Gentile followers of Jesus. So you had uh, Jews and people from the nations that were following Jesus in this church that, as we've been talking about, raised all sorts of frictions and tensions. And at this point... In Romans, Paul is talking specifically to his Jewish hearers. As you remember, he spends all of chapter 1 talking about how naughty those Gentiles are, how evil and wicked and bad those people are. And then he says, and guess what? You're just as bad. You who think that you can condemn all those people for doing what they do, get you do the same thing. So you have no excuse. Why don't you shut up and listen? And he says, starting in verse 17, now you... You call yourself a Jew. If you rely on Torah, you brag about your relationship to God. If you know his will, you approve of what is superior because you are instructed by Torah. If you're convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in Torah the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, well, physician, heal thyself. You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You say people shouldn't commit adultery, do you? You abhor idols, but do you rob temples? You brag about the law, but do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Guess what? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And this is a big deal, not just because there's hypocrisy, but because God's people had a specific mission. God called a people not just so that they could have a special, nice relationship with God, not just so they could be the apple of his eye. God called a people so that through them he could bless the entire world. He called a people to be walking advertisements for what it means to follow the Lord of the universe, to live by his Torah, And he promised them every blessing, every protection if they did. And their job was to live well as God's people and to show the world how good it was to live as his people. He put them in the ancient Near Eastern equivalent of Delaware, not so that they could collect tolls, not so that they could keep the speed limit at 55 and infest 95 with police cars, but so that everybody going through where they were, and they had to go through where they were if you wanted to get anywhere then, so that everybody going through would see how healthy and happy and safe and secure their society was. Their job was to honor the name of God. Their job was to demonstrate how great He is. So for them to act so horribly that God's name, as Isaiah said, is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of them, that's a pretty big deal. Paul goes on to say, look, circumcision has value if you you follow Torah. It's commanded in Torah. If you're following Torah, then then it it works. But see, if you break Torah, it's like you had never been circumcised. See, if those who aren't circumcised keep the requirements of Torah, really, it's it's like they were circumcised. They get credit. The one who is not circumcised physically, yet obeys the law, is going to condemn you, who even though you have Torah, even though... You read it even though you treasure it. Even though you're circumcised. You break it. You violate it. You're not going to be the one giving the lecture. You're not going to be the one in the dock. You are going to be the one in the dock. See, Paul says a man is not a Jew if he's only one outwardly. Circumcision isn't just an outward physical sign. Uh, the, the real heart of it is, is to be a, a Jew inwardly. Circumcision, real circumcision, is circumcision of the heart. It's by the Spirit, not by the written Torah. And such a person's praise doesn't come from men. It comes from God. What Paul is saying is that the, the you, you people have been trusting in all the wrong things. You're trusting in the fact that you had this thing done to you when you were a kid and that you are part of this community that reads Torah, that you say you follow it, you say you're you're descended from the right people, but he says that if your heart's in the wrong place, that doesn't do you any good. In fact, that becomes more of a problem. I'm sure nobody in here has ever known anybody who was raised in the church and is a complete jerk. Right? But just hypothetically, let's say there would be somebody like that. Right? Who thinks, you know, I got baptized as a kid. I was in the choir. I played the handbells. You know, I show up at church on all the right holidays and I come on Sundays and my name's in the roll, and I'm all right. No, you're not all right. In fact, the fact that you think you're all right is part of the problem. Just showing up Just having all the right credentials doesn't cut it. Now, Paul starts engaging the jerks. Well, so what advantage is there in being a Jew? What value is is there in circumcision? Are you, Paul, are you saying that there's no there's nothing good about being a Jew? You're saying there's no value in circumcision? No, Paul says no. There's there's plenty of value. Actually, there's a lot to be said. First of all, I mean the the Jews, and he says they. Of course, he himself is a Jew, so we've been entrusted by the very oracles of God. And as Ron talked about last week, that you know probably refers to the whole of the Old Testament. Well, what what if some didn't have faith, huh, Paul? I mean, what if some weren't faithful? Does their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Huh? I mean, God chooses a people. And if they're not faithful, does that mean that God's not faithful? And Paul breaks out one of his beautiful, beautiful, beautiful hell knows right here. Kids, I want to teach you a Greek phrase. Me genoita. All right? You all can say this with me. Say, me genoita. Say may. Genoita. Genoita, Genoita. May may genoita, hell no, literally may it never be. No, this is very strong language that Paul is using here. You can translate this and it's translated all sorts of different ways, depending on how polite the translators of your Bible are. It's translated, it is translated in some translations as hell no, in some translations it's may it never be, in some translations not at all. You could also translate this, stop acting like an idiot. You could translate this, you fool. You could translate this, get your head out of wherever it is. Let God be true and every man, a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. Well, Paul, but what if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly? Well, then, should we say that God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? And here Paul says, I'm, I'm using a human argument, maybe how you have it translated. Again, this is, I'm talking like an idiot. right? He, he, if you may remember when we did 2 Corinthians, chapter chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. There are a couple of places where Paul says, I am talking like a complete moron here, but you are forcing me to because I'm having to parrot the things that you guys are saying. He's saying, no, I, absolutely not. Me genoita, again in verse 6. Hell no. I mean, if that were so, how could God judge the world? Some idiot might argue, well, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory... And why am I condemned as a sinner? You know, me screwing up and then God forgiving me makes him look good, right? So, you know, he should be happy with me. Yeah, why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, why don't we just do evil so that good may increase? I mean, the more evil we do, the more God can forgive, right? Their condemnation is deserved. Again, they're idiots. These are not serious arguments. And there are times that we have to engage serious arguments, but there are times when engaging an unserious argument is like punching the tar baby. It is like, and I say this with all due respect to my younger brothers and sisters here, having an argument with a four-year-old. The minute you begin having an argument with a four-year-old, you have already lost because you cannot have a productive argument with a four-year-old. Same goes on the Internet. When somebody starts dropping Hitler into the conversation, you know it's over. No. There are some arguments, some ideas that are not worthy of serious consideration. The proper response to them is, Me gen oita. shut up, you're an idiot, don't be a jerk. wonder why people act like idiots I think some people just like being jerks I could be wrong I think some people just really enjoy being jerks Those people are dangerous But I think some people also deliberately Act like jerks. Some people, by being, by acting like idiots, express their jerky nature because they're avoiding the real issue. See, if you can throw up a stupid, pointless, nonsensical argument, you don't have to really engage the real thing do you right i mean if you talk about how this guy is trying to shoot puppies you don't have to actually talk about the differences in your tax policy i think a lot of people throw this stuff up to avoid the real issue which is that god is justified when he speaks that he does prevail when he judges. That quote that Paul gives us is from the 51st Psalm. This is the Psalm that David wrote after he was convicted by the prophet Nathan of his sin in committing adultery and murder. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from all sin. I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak, prevail, when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. These are not the words of a jerk. These are not the words of an idiot. These are the words of somebody who has been brought painfully in touch with his own brokenness. If we can throw up a smokescreen of stupid arguments, we can, at least for time, avoid dealing with the real issue. But David is not doing that. Cleanse me with hyssop, he says, and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. A lot of people don't want to ask God to cleanse them, don't want to ask him to wash them, don't want to ask him to hide his face from their sins to blot out their iniquity because they really don't want to do business with the fact that they have sin and iniquity and that they need to be cleansed. For many people, the prayer created me a pure heart doesn't quite come off the tongue very easily because eh, they figure they're kind of all right already. It wouldn't be, you know, created me a pure heart. Oh, God, God, you know, just kind of make me a little better, maybe knock off some of the rough edges. No, when David don't cast me from your presence don't take your Holy Spirit from me he is saying Lord you are my life do not abandon me you have every right to I'm filthy in your sight but restore me grant me a, a willing spirit to sustain me give me Give me a heart that longs to do your will, to follow you. Then, he says, I will teach transgressors your ways. Then sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. And My tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth. will declare your praise. You know, it's delight in sacrifices. I'd bring it if you did. Burnt offering is not what we need right here. Now, the sacrifices that God requires, what I'm bringing you, God, are a broken heart, a broken spirit, a repentant soul. And I know, God, You will not despise these. There are a lot of people there in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday welcoming Jesus as the Messiah who is going to come in and redeem his people, get them out from under the thumb of the oppressor. They're interested in a political hero, military leader. They wanted somebody who was gonna kick out the bad guys. What they didn't know they needed was somebody who was going to deal with their sin. So we come up to Good Friday. We come upon this holy day in the Christian year that makes absolutely no sense if you don't think you need it. if you don't think you need to be cleansed of your sin if you you don't think you have anything to repent of if you don't think God needs to create a pure heart within you if you think all he needs to do is just kind of you know tune you up a little bit th- then a guy getting crucified on your behalf does not make a lot of sense seems to be a really gory bloody icky waste It's not. It is gory. It is bloody. It's horrifying. That anybody would be crucified is a horrible, terrible way to die, but that an innocent man, the only person in the history of humankind who didn't have that coming to him in any way suffered that for our sake. It's like God doesn't want to let us Ignore that. It's like he doesn't want to let us just throw up a bunch of fine-sounding arguments. There's something about a man hanging on a cross that forces us to deal with the fact that if that's what happened, and we believe it is, There must have been something seriously wrong that needed to be righted if that was the way God was going to do it. You may find it useful. I know I've been finding it very helpful as we've gone through Lent to pray the meditation of St. Tikhan of Zdansk that we've done this morning. Uh, and... and uh, throughout Lent. That's on the website, by the way. If you click on the Lent banner, um, the Ash Wednesday picture, you can click through and it's got the whole text there. You may find that to be something that you can hang out in this week. Or, you know, you can figure you're pretty much okay. Okay. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out our transgressions. Wash away all our iniquity and cleanse us from all sin. We know our transgressions. Our sins always before us. Against you, you only, have we sinned done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak, you do prevail in your judgment. Surely we were sinful at birth, sinful from the time our mothers conceived us, and surely you desire truth in the inner parts, you teach us wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse us with hyssop and we will be clean. Wash us and we will be whiter than snow. Let us hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from our sins and blot out all our iniquity. Create in us a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. Don't cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and grant us a willing spirit to sustain us